1: Welcome to Invest Talk. Above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. Eight 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 ninety nine charters our number, 888-992-4278. Hi
2: Justin, this is Nick out in Nebraska. I was looking at some home builder companies and it seems to me that, you know, even though they've run up quite a bit lately, they seem really cheap as far as the PE and the forward PE, and I was wondering if you could explain that. Like, they seem to be anywhere from about eight to ten forward PE. To me, that just seems so cheap. Any thoughts you can give are much
3: appreciated. Thank you. Bye.
4: Well, the earnings have moved up pretty dramatically. I'll just use Pulte. It's one of the largest home builders out there. 42 markets in 24 different states, about a $24 billion market cap. And earnings, pre-pandemic, were at $3.63. And this year, this was supposed to make $11.44. That's down 1% from expected earnings for last year. And revenue growth has slowed from the mid-teens to about 3%. So I think what you're seeing here is a slowing of earnings. The housing market affordability continues to be stretched in many areas, but people still have jobs and supply of homes generally uh, are are relatively low, and they tend to be the marginal supplier of new homes. And they're still able to uh, charge fairly high prices because there aren't a lot of options for those that still do want to buy, that have jobs, that have a down payment. They haven't gone away completely. They're just a lot less than they were uh, a couple of years ago. And so with the mortgage lockdown situation, people handcuffed to their 3% mortgage mortgage rates, there just isn't a lot of existing supply out there. So uh, the technicals look fine. I look at like the ITB, which is the iShare's US home construction ETF. That's the best kind of general proxy for the home builders. And that's been consolidating and actually at new highs today. So I don't know, Luke, do you do you think that despite the run that it's worth picking them up? at these relatively cheap prices based on today's earnings?
5: Yeah, I mean, it, it is relatively cheap. I will point out, though, that you know Pulte Group is trading at a 9.2 priced earnings on a, on a next 12 months basis. It's, its five-year average is 7.4. It's not too overly valued. Mm-hmm. But like many things, I think that... <laughs> that this uh, this sector specifically is very tied to the health of the economy. And so long as the overall economy and the labor market stays tight enough that people have disposable incomes and people are looking to buy homes, especially coming into uh, a rate cutting cycle, uh, this could be a good opportunity to to pick up some of these home builders who could have some some room to run.
4: I don't see them reversing anytime soon. Soon, as you said, they're, they're gonna be tied to the overall economy. If the housing market, if the jobs market does weaken, Uh, that could start to break some of these names because uh, if people have more fear of them lose them losing jobs they're not going to go out there and, and buy a home and so you might have that next stair step down in home demand with high prices with high mortgage rates and then a the third pillar is that jobs market and if that falls as well um that could that could really hurt these names so they're, they're just very cyclical so they do tend to trade at low p ratios so don't expect them to trade at 20 times multiple that's just not the the way these things trade
6: managing multiple mutual funds researching professional services where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk.
7: This is Paulo from Gavisburg, Maryland calling. I have a question for you guys. On a stock tracking platform, I can analyze my performance of my portfolio and it shows me the internal rate of return for the portfolio, which was excellent compared to the nominal performance last year. So, I'm not so sure if I understand this measurement uh, right. So, could you please explain this indicator and if it's a good measure to track one's portfolio's performance? I appreciate all the work you guys do and all the good work you do, and looking forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye bye. So in terms of
5: internal rate of return, generally speaking, internal rate of return can be thought of as the annualized effective compound rate uh, that can be expected for an investment or a project. So I think primarily IRR is used in when you look at private equity investments or capital budgeting. And it tells you what is that rate of return required to essentially get you positive uh, net present value out of a project. I'm not sure given what I don't really know what platform you're using. How they specifically use IRR uh, or internal rate of return, but generally, it's going to be the effective compound rate of that portfolio. Do you have anything to to add there, Justin?
4: What's probably trying to give you a better sense of is what your returns are when you account for cash flows. Are you putting money in? Are you taking money out? And that's usually what uh, these platforms tend to use IRR for because those cash flows can kind of skew the overall returns when you do have uh, cash flows uh, in and out. And that can mean for somebody who's sounds like this caller was younger, maybe he's putting money in regularly and what that, uh, what that does to that total return calculation or IRR calculation uh, for somebody in, the, in retirement years, it might be taking money out. And that's important to, uh, understand as well. So, uh, good thing they're using IRR. I think that's a, it's a good measurement for that. Uh, but you know, each platform kind of has its own idiosyncrasies on how they handle, uh, the return calculations, but IRR is kind of industry standard there. Thanks for the call. You can call right now and be
1: part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is eight, 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 99 chart. 888-992-4278, and you get through right now.
8: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future.
2: Hi, Will. Hey, hi, Steve.
9: How they get there. I'm wondering if now is a good time to be buying preferred stocks.
8: And when they get there.
2: Would this be an opportune time?
8: That depends on many variables
2: to get into annuities.
8: Everyone's situation is different.
9: And as I listened, I'm trying to turn more into an investor
7: rather than a speculator.
8: And so are their questions.
7: Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. I'm calling about Peloton. PTON is
3: a
2: secret. I'd appreciate your take on medical properties
3: trust.
8: Hey, I was trying to reach Justin,
4: Luke, or Steve. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. 15% of that capital to work in annuity and then look for opportunities to add more over time. Steve Peasley.
1: Okay, so when you split, you'll still have about 5%. And my personal belief is you should just hold on to them.
8: And now, Luke Guerrero.
1: Figure out a way to
5: diversify away that risk. That's always going to be beneficial.
8: Are ready to provide their unbiased answers.
4: All right, this is Boeing, a company that levered up its balance sheet to buy up tons of shares pre-pandemic. Each podcast is
8: unique, and you set the agenda. Want
7: to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan?
8: Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 99 chart. This is an Invest Talk Best of Caller Questions compilation program. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Call anytime, 888-99-CHART. That's 888-99-CHART.
7: Hi, Steve and Justin. I was wondering, with a Roth IRA or a regular IRA, if you buy MLPs, do you still have to deal with K-1s? Or do K-1s not apply if it's in an IRA tax deferred account? Thanks so much for answering
4: my question. Yes, this is a very important aspect to understand when you're investing in in limited partnerships, is that in tax-deferred accounts, if you earn, I believe it's over $1,000 in income in any given year, you actually have to file a separate tax return. It's not fun. There are complications with it, let's just say that. So you do not want to really own K one, any, any partnership. And there are more than just limited partnerships that, that are, that are out there traded in the marketplace or massively limited partnerships. There are other types of partnerships too. So anything that gets a K one, you want to avoid having in any tax deferred account, like an IRA or a Roth IRA. Now, if you can stay below those distribution limits, then maybe it's okay. If your account's small enough, but generally you want to uh, stay away from that. I believe it's $1,000 a year. Don't quote me on that. I have to do, my, do, your, do your own research on that. But I, I, last time I checked, yeah, anything above $1,000 is subject to tax, even if securities are held in a retirement account. There you go. Yeah, just found it. So very important to consider when buying mlps every investor
8: is working to build a secure financial future
2: would this be an opportune time to get into annuities
8: everyone's situation is different get your thoughts
7: on crm salesforce
8: and so are their questions and
9: i was just calling for your assessment of blackstone incorporated
8: 24 7 rain or shine invest talk is made better by the power of you Eight 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 ninety nine chart
9: Hello on Best Talk. I had a question for you about where to park extra money after you've already checked boxes like retirement accounts, Roth IRAs. You already have money in a savings account. And, you know, that's where my question comes from is that, you know, currently the savings account I hold in my fiancé isn't the best. And so we were looking at vehicles like a high-yield savings account or a money market fund, uh, specifically the... Uh, Vanguard federal money market fund. And so my questions would be, you know, how much money or percent of your portfolio would you put into those? We're not saving for anything. We've already built up a savings, you know, within our bank. And we're just looking to get better yield on that money. And so how much percentage of the portfolio would you allocate to those two? And then if you had a preference between the high-yield savings or money market, again, just wanted to see which one you had think would be a better vehicle to park that extra money. I'll listen on the podcast with my fiance. Trying to get her into your guys' show, and because uh, I really do, you know, enjoy it and find value in it. So, thanks. I will listen on the podcast. See you guys. Bye.
4: Appreciate the kind words and glad you're getting a lot out of it. Now, uh, first off, congratulations, maxing out your retirement accounts. Good job. Uh, now it's okay. What is the the next step? You also sounds like you have an emergency fund, so you know you're looking at very short term and those money market accounts, high yield savings accounts. It's a good place to park that emergency fund. Very liquid, safe, right? No volatility. That's where you want the emergency fund to be. You talked about your retirement accounts, and that's long-term. Obviously, that's going to be more along the lines of your risk tolerance level and long-term goals. You sound pretty young, so you're probably at least moderately aggressive, maybe even aggressive. Okay. Now, the extra money after maxing out those accounts, this is something we kind of talked about yesterday, is... There's nothing wrong with a taxable brokerage account. But usually there might be another goal that maybe is more intermediate term. For example, a lot of people have goals of retirement. The two main ones are retirement and emergency fund. Those are the two boxes most people check. The next one is typically buy a home. So are you a homeowner or are you not? If you're looking to buy a home, you know, that is more something where your time horizon is more in term. And you want to take some risk with it, but maybe not a ton of risk because you can write out some wiggles, but you're going to need that money in the next three, five, seven years. That's kind of the intermediate zone, three to five, three to seven years. Beyond seven, I call that long term. Then you can be more aggressive. That's more along the lines of your risk of your retirement account. So that's the question. Do you have one of those? Maybe it's a. Maybe it's buying a car. Maybe it's going on a trip. Wh- whatever it is, something that is more in their intermediate zone. And then, once again, those can be somewhat appropriate, but you know you can get better yields from, say, a corporate bond fund. It's more volatility, but maybe a short to intermediate term corporate bond fund. Better yield you're going to get, and keep that locked in for a longer period of time. One of the issues with these short-term money market accounts and high-yield savings accounts is, yeah, this Vanguard federal money market account is yielding 5.29% today, but if the Fed cuts rates this year three times, four times, five times, like this is going to yield closer to 4% by the end of the year and maybe lower. So having a corporate bond fund that maybe closer to the three, five-year mark in maturity, That would be uh, a good place to be for kind of intermediate money. Um, But if you don't have any of that, if you just have your retirement goals and your uh, emergency goals, then your asset allocation for that extra money should just go into a taxable brokerage account and invest it similarly to what you're doing with your IRA and Roth IRA. You're listening
1: to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-Chart, beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
8: Listening to an Invest Talk Best of Caller Questions compilation program. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Call anytime, 888 99Chart. That's 888 99Chart. Justin, Steve, or Luke will answer them on an upcoming podcast.
0: Hello. I have saved up around $80,000 and I'm 21 years old, and I was wondering what i should do to invest my money and what i should do to make it grow i was considering buying or putting money down on a house or a townhouse or a condo in my area but los angeles seems very expensive i was wondering if maybe there's another state or another city where i could possibly invest in property or whether or not this is the right time to invest in property thank you hope to hear it on the next podcast
4: Thanks for the call and congratulations on saving up a nice little chunk of cash there. Now, the first thing you should make sure you're doing is maxing out retirement accounts, your 401k at your work, your your IRA, maybe a Roth IRA if you're in a low tax bracket. I think that's uh, the first place you should put that, that, that money. Uh, second is when it comes to real estate investing, in today's market, it's not that advantageous. Uh, the the cap rates remain very low, especially here in Southern California. You talk about uh, Los Angeles. You know, I'm I'm just south of you. The cap rates still remain four or five percent, which is lower than the cost of of borrowing, the cost of capital, the cost of, the 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 yield you can get on quality corporates, for example. There's no headache of being a landlord. So if you are going to invest in real estate, you want to do that at of state, but you have to be very careful because still the cap rates are not that great in many parts of the country. It's not just here in California where uh, they're they're some of the worst. Um, and then you have to be comfortable with being a landlord to a property that is out of state, out of your your region. That you have to pay another property manager, most likely, uh, to help with that, and that eats into your your ultimate yield. So I wouldn't say property investment is the best place for you right now. We're still going through a, what I think is a multi-year correction in in housing prices. And frankly, that's probably going to be more of a correction in real terms, meaning a lot of people think of a correction of prices that happen in, in nominal terms, meaning, oh, wait, was a correction in nominal terms. Prices of real estate fell 50%. But you can also have a correction in time where prices go nowhere and the real return, the real growth in prices is is negative over a number of years and over, you know, five, seven, 10 year time period, prices stay flat, inflation remains going, uh, remains consistent, and Prices correct in time as opposed to uh, nominally. And I think that's probably what you're going to see more broadly with real estate uh, for the foreseeable future due to the lack of affordability in most regions. Now, we always say real estate is local, so it's not like there aren't opportunities out there. They're just very hard to find. You have to do a lot of work and once again, be comfortable with being a landlord out of state. Mainly what I would focus on is continue to get money into those tax-deferred investment vehicles learn more about uh the investment world you know stocks and bonds and if you don't feel you have the expertise it's okay with a small dollar amount to uh, just simply index if you don't want to go through the process of becoming a better investor you just want to kind of set it and forget it and there are worse ways to go
6: managing multiple mutual funds researching professional services where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99 chart is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk.
4: If you're holding a stock
3: at a significant loss, say down like seventy percent on one of these high tech stocks. If you're holding in a brokerage account, you know, you can always sell off those stocks to have offset your capital gains. But in a Roth IRA, you can't offset any losses. What is your guys' recommendation on a strategy? Do you just hold on to it and just wait? Maybe in five plus years, you know, you'll recoup your money. Or do you just sell it and just kind of like, you know, throw that money away? What is your strategy on a Roth IRA with stocks with significant losses? I look forward to hearing your answers on the podcast. You guys do a fantastic job. I've learned a lot. I appreciate everything you do. Have a great night.
1: Okay, that's a pretty good question. So if you have a stock that's lost lots of value, do you get rid of it? Do you just say, okay, that's too much, I'm out? And the answer is not that simple. First of all, you ask yourself, well, why did I buy the company? What was the, about the company that I bought it? Did I buy it for the dividend? Did I buy it for growth? Did I buy it because it has a new product coming out? And so you should write those reasons down when you buy the company. This is why I own this company. Okay, here's my reasons. Now if those fundamental reasons why you bought that company no longer are valid, then get rid of the stock. So let's talk about, you know, a high dividend paying big huge blue chip stock, paying, you know, when you bought it, paid four and a half percent dividend. Now it lost over half its value. So the dividend's gone up dramatically as a percentage. They pay out the same amount of dollars and cents, but dramatically as far as percentage. Do you get rid of that stock? Well, if you just bought it for the dividend and you were just going to hold on to it because it pays a great dividend, no, you just hold on to it. If you bought a stock that's growth, you wanted to buy the stock because it was growing really fast, and it's still growing, but the market's beating it up terribly, you would still hold on to it. if the valid re- If that reason still is there, it's still growing like it was. But let's say it stopped growing. Maybe competition is too hard. Then there'll be a valid reason to get rid of it. So those are the, it just has to, it's just not because the price goes up or down that you sell a stock. That's not a valid reason to, to buy or sell a stock because the price went up or down. That's not valid. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley and we're here to help you get better results if we can with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now,
4: 888-99-CHART. .com,
8: this is an Invest Talk Best of Caller Questions compilation program. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Call anytime, 888 99Chart. That's 888 99CHART. Justin, Steve, or Luke will answer them on an upcoming podcast.
3: I'm just wondering, get some advice from a 51-year-old man who's been an artist all his life and uh, various degrees of financial success, but really none that will carry me into my retirement years, set me up for financial security. I'm just wondering, how does one even approach that at my age and with um, not a wealth of job or professional experience that pays the rate that I ever gotten so. Um, <laughs> just asking that.
4: Thank you. Well, if you are behind in saving, the number one way that most people save for retirement is through the four hundred one k. Now, you being an artist, I live in Laguna Beach. It's an artist community, not the biggest in the world, but there's certainly an artist community here. And so, I knew a few artists, so I understand the the plight of an artist and how cash flows can. Come and go. But you need to set up something to where there's a consistent saving mechanism. Because most people, they save through the 401k and not because they have some special power that allows them to be more disciplined. It's simply they never see it, never see the money. And so if you can set up something maybe with your bank where a certain amount of every paycheck goes into a savings vehicle where you never really see the money hit your bank account, that'd be ideal. It's something where it's about consistency. That's what 401ks help you do. Every two weeks, every 1st and 15th, however you're paid, it automatically goes in your 401k and it's consistent. And so if you can mimic that in some way and try to max that out, an IRA, you're over 50 now, so you get the catch-up contribution. Roth IRA, ideally, if you can. That's the first place you have to go and make it consistent. But then you also have to have an eye towards how much you need and lay out the cash flows, right? What, the, what is that path? Is it $1,000 a month? Is it $2,000 a month? Is it $5,000 a month? I don't know. Depends on who you are. You're an artist. Most artists I know, they don't have big spending habits. They focus on their art. They focus on their community. And they don't need a lot of money. And so maybe you're not far, as far off as you think if your needs are, are fairly modest. Thanks for the call.
3: So I know that you would never do this, but let's just say that you invested in a few speculative companies that are down 90%. Is that something that you would just cash out on and move on? Or would you call it a sunk cost and wait for a possible rebound? Obviously, I'm not going to give you a specific company and make you do the you know research on the metrics and the, and the earnings ratios and whatnot. Let's just suffice it to say that the fact that they're down 90% is not good. But in general, when it's down that bad, do you even bother taking a loss? Love for your opinion. Thanks. Bye bye.
4: Well, if you have the loss, to, if you have gains to offset that loss, that could certainly be a reason. But number one is going to understand why it's down that much. Now, typically, most stocks are down that much because their business is shot that the market had priced in a certain level of future growth certain level of profitability and those expectations by the market are now gone that that growth trajectory is far different than the market had been expected expecting or the profitability and the business that they had built maybe was taken away from them because another company out-innovated them, for example, and now they're no longer the leader. You know, I think of the classic example is BlackBerry and and Apple, right? BlackBerry obviously fell more than 90% after, you know, in the, in the, the years after the iPhone was announced and BlackBerry never recovered. You know, it's still in business, but it's a shell of its former self. So, it's really about the prospects of that business. Most of the time, that name is not going to anytime soon recover its lost glory. Maybe one day it can, you know, you change management and they can revive their business. Could also be, especially this happens in fashion, trends come and go. And one day that trend might come back, but usually it's decades into the future. It's not worth sitting around waiting for that. And then the most dire reason that can happen is the company has too much debt and therefore bankruptcy is likely. And therefore it's going to go down that other last 10%, right? And you're not going to lose 90% of your money. You're going to lose 10% or sorry, 100% because the equity will be worthless. So most of the time it's worth it to sell it and move on. Use that capital to find something better. But there are rare occasions where You know, now the market might be wrong. You, you know, uh, by your estimation, the market is wrong. Usually isn't, but maybe the market is wrong that its growth could come back, or its business is down in the dumps for a transitory reason, and things will bounce back in the next year or two. It's happened, but it's not common. Just say that.
3: Good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you for your service. My question is: Do you use stock screeners? And if so, how would you set up a stock screener? I currently use E Trade and am able to screen stocks based on everything from the basic industry to detailed financial information. But I just wanted your opinion on how to most effectively utilize a stock screener and possibly shed some light on your favorite industry plays. Thanks a bunch. Bye
4: bye. Well, yeah, you, you definitely should use a stock screener. Everybody should. Use one. It's the first line that will whittle down the number of equities that you can physically, manually filter through. Because there's always going to be some level of filter that can't be whittled down to one number. You know, there are nearly 29,000 different equities that you could buy listed on some type of exchange. But the ones that are listed on all major exchanges... 9,644 Some how many there are. So that's a lot. And so you need some sort of screener that will whittle those down to more results that uh, you can go through one by one, sector by sector, and find the best within each sector. That's what you need to do. Now, which one you use, it's up to you. The, everyone has their preferences. Some are free. Some cost money. Some just come with your broker you talked about E-Trade, and they all work pretty similarly, but it's really about having a, a wide enough net to where you're not excluding too many names. You know if you're, if you're doing a screener and it's coming up with eight names, you're probably too tight, right? You need to widen that out. I'll just give you an example here. Uh, one of our screeners that uh, screens for, for names within for, for one of our strategies that we deploy for clients. Currently, is 137 different names that come up, and that is a universe that we will go through, and we won't buy all of them. We know we're only going to buy a few dozen of those. So yeah, you should use a stock screener. Now, what are the metrics that you use? That's, that's up to you. you. know, We look at things like return on invested capital. We look at earnings growth. We look at payout ratio, market cap, relative strength. The number of shares outstanding, whether rising or falling, those are just a handful. And then from there, we can say, okay, and then we have rankings as well. We have a proprietary uh, scoring model that includes things like enterprise value to free cash flow, shareholder yield, return on assets, insider ownership, institutional investor ownership, standard deviation of returns, return on invested capital relative to the industry. Those are just a handful. We rank those. I won't tell you how we rank them, but we rank them. <laughs> so, yeah, that, those are definitely tools that everybody needs. And it's your first step, not your last. And I think that's important to understand as well.
3: Yeah, this is James from Georgia. Guys, I just saw a very... A commercial very compelling about silver. It's from Lear Capital. And it had this one gentleman who's wearing these glasses, very, very smart looking. And he stated unequivocally, he likes silver. So what do I do? Do I buy a big old chunk of silver and stick it in the basement? Is that what I'm supposed to do? You know, if there's all this... Uh, like and love for silver. I'll listen to the podcast and wait for your answer. We really enjoy the show.
5: Well, certainly the ad was effective if you saw it, and uh, we thank you for asking us for our advice. Now, I think it's important to note you know, a lot of people look at precious metals uh, as a good commodity to invest in. So maybe let's start by talking about kind of the differences between gold and silver, right? Gold, that safe haven asset, silver tends to be more volatile, a little bit less liquid. Um, if you're talking about investing it, not just buying it and putting it in your basement, but it also has, you know, higher industrial demand compared to gold. So when times are booming, silver prices, when they're in demand tend to have more benefit. But if times are tough, gold tends to be a better place to store your, uh, store your, uh, value. What do you, what do you think, Justin?
4: Well, I think the first lesson here is never, make an investment decisions decision because some guy said it loudly and confidently on a television screen or on a laptop or on your phone or on YouTube or whatever, right? That that's not a process for making an investment decision. there any ad is going to have somebody that hopefully uh, is uh, very confident and says it that in a way that will get buy-in from the people that view it. Uh, But that doesn't make it a good investment or the right investment for you. Uh, So that shouldn't be a a reason for you to buy or sell something. Um, But you're right, Luke, that precious metals, they can be great stores of value long term. Holding gold is a good hedge against inflation, but not something that you should um, go wild for. Um, uh, There's nothing wrong with owning Gold and silver as a part of diversified portfolio. Actually, I like gold and silver long term, but do you need to own physical? Look and put it in your basement. You know, I think that's a play on the entire system kind of come crashing down. Which you, you know, have bigger I,
5: problems. We have oh, yeah, bigger than problems needing to get to your physical silver. If the whole exactly, and, and are
4: you going to take that chunk of silver and carry it across town and barter with? You know, somebody you can turn it into
5: tools. You can't. You can't turn silver forwards into tools.
4: Uh, if I guess, if you're a blacksmith, you could. <laughs> um, so I, I always think it's a little far fetched to me that you need the physical, and then you have the potential of that getting lost or stolen as well, uh, which I don't like. Uh, I think that's probably a higher risk than the whole financial system crashing. But if you want to own a little bit, nothing wrong with that.
7: Hi, this is Dan from New York. I do have a question for Justin and Lou, and that pertains to ETFs. I have about 50% of my portfolio in value ETFs and the other 50% in growth. My question is, with the value section of my portfolio, my patience is kind of growing thin. I've had, for example, VBR and VOE, which is respectively a small cap value and a mid cap value. And when I compare the year to date to year or five year results, comparatively speaking to such as the S&P 500 VOO or a growth fund VUG, they are nowhere near the growth that I would have received if I had more of my portfolio in the latter part. So am I over invested? my question is, in value? Should I maybe move 10%, 5% more in growth, or should I stay the course? Thank you. I'll listen to your answer on the podcast. And I met with Steve in Manhattan. He is truly a gem. And I'm just thinking about him, and I've walked this path so I understand the journey that he's going through. God bless you all.
4: Thank you. Well, thank you for your prayers for Steve. Thank you for to all of you out there, and uh, yeah, we're we're all keeping him uh, in our prayers. Uh, now, when it comes to this value versus growth thing, I am getting this question a lot, and it shows me that the sentiment is getting a bit extreme. Twenty twenty two was a a very shocking year for the growth side of the market. It was a year of change with interest rates skyrocketing. NASDAQ was down 33%. And value, for the first time in a long while, drastically outperformed. But 2023, for pretty much the high tire until about mid-October, there was a snapback rally. Growth outperformed. But in general, if you take the two years together, it's about even. And this is something you really have to understand, is that these trends that, in our mind, uh, started to emerge in 2022 of higher cost of capital, higher interest rates, higher inflation, that is likely to, in our minds, based on our research, based on the longer-term trends that we still see in place, that that environment is still here. But that doesn't mean that that value is going to outperform every quarter or even every year. You even go back to post-financial crisis. It's called 2008 until 2021. There were years and periods where value outperformed, even though, over that long period, growth outperformed. So even though we're in a in our minds a different market, doesn't mean that you can't have outperformance and growth over short periods of time. And, and guess what? A year is a short period of time in markets. Now, if you believe that we're not that the trends of pre-COVID are still here, and that we're trending all the way back to that type of environment of zero cost of capital, stronger dollar, weaker economic growth nominally, you think that's we're returning to, then growth will continue to outperform. So you have to ask yourself, don't do it based on, oh, what happened last year? Because once again, it's one year. So I'm getting this sentiment a lot here um, as of late, uh, because you're getting really a strong surge in in the growth side of the market. A lot of that has to do uh, with the structure of the market at this point. um, And the option uh, markets as of late Uh, Q1 option X that we just uh, finished with so, I wouldn't do that at this time. I think uh, a balance uh, still makes sense, and leaning on the values of this market, side of the market actually, I think, makes more sense. Right? This is invest talk, we're heading to our final break. Let's get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
8: You are listening to an invest talk best of caller questions compilation program. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Call anytime, 888-99-CHART. That's
4: 888-99-C-H-A-R-T. Let's go to Taylor here locally in Santa Monica, and you have a question about investing?
2: Uh, yeah, hey guys, thank you for taking my call. Of course. I had a question, uh, specifically it's, it's an inherited IRA. I'm just kind of wondering how to, you know, there's there's kind of different investment segments here, right? Because I think I have like, 10 years to take out all, all the funds. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. But for tax reasons, I want to break it up evenly. I don't want to take out a hundred percent all at once. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, I think from the, from a time horizon of five to 10 years, I have a good idea of maybe how to invest that. You can be a little more risky, but with kind of that money that I want to take out between let's say one and five years from now, you know, is there anything safe? Let's say, in that two to three year range, or should I just put it in a CD, leave it in cash and, and take my safe, you know, four or 5%, whatever it is, or, you know, do you guys have any ideas of, you know, how, how I could better leverage that or invest that?
4: Yeah. I have no issue with kind of segmenting those, the amounts into buckets, if that's how you want to do it kind of over, uh, gradually over 10 year period and anything that's short term, especially if you have that earmarked for something, in general. I don't see any issue with treasuries, for example, buying actual treasuries. You could buy an ETF that holds treasuries as well. Um, So that would have very low risk, hopefully a treasury that's low duration, right? Six-month, 12-month type of uh, T-bills. But I would also think about it more in the sense of your time horizon in general, not just that you take the money out, but what are you going to use the money for? Because you can take that money out, but then you can maybe reinvest that money for the long term maybe putting on your 401k etc so i wouldn't necessarily think of it as just the time horizon of when you're taking the money out it's more of when you're using that money in my mind what do you think luke i agree i think the bucketing idea is great I think
5: having a quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear that mentioned on the program, certain, but you're uh, unclear about you're what it means or, or you have a question the about it, we want you to ask with that money.
6: It's very likely and you, you also have to keep in mind that one, one of the most difficult same about investing is you make all the right choices. But
5: so much of it comes down to timing. Mm-hmm. And whenever you withdraw the money, for example, you know if you retired two months before uh, you know March of 2009 or retired two months after that March of 2009, you had some completely different investing experiences because of a lot of that recovery being in the early spring. So keep mm-hmm. that in mind that you can make good investment choices, but timing is also going to affect, your overall investment experience. So that's going to be that, that time horizon that Justin is talking about. It's not that 10 years. It's when you're going to use that money. But no, certainly I would create those buckets, things that you definitely want to do with it, things that you might want to do with it. So you have your necessities and your reaches and then assign different types of investments based on risk that way.
4: And understand your cash flow needs. Just because you're forced to take money out of those accounts doesn't mean that that is a cash flow need. That is just simply the government withdrawal. forcing you just like an RMD would, right? At a certain age. It's not necessarily a lot of retirees don't need that money, but doesn't mean that money isn't earmarked for the next of kin, for example. And we talk about that all the time where there are clients that they have millions of dollars, and they live pretty modestly. And this money, they're not really going to spend it. It's for their, their next of kin. Yes, they may be forced to take money out of that IRA when they're 73, 74, 75. But that money is earmarked for their children or their grandchildren. And so it should be invested more aggressively, despite the fact that they have to take money out. Right. And that's kind of the same thing here where you're forced to, but it's more about how you should and are using that money.
6: And I've got a question
4: about warrant shares. I think that's the right term. Got a
6: question for Steve or Justin? 888-99-CHART.
3: Hi, Steve,
9: Justin, and Luke. Hey, it's Matt. Long-time listener of the show here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm obviously have some cash on hand cuz I've done some profit taking. I know you say take profit taking after um maybe your portfolio or in a stock you get over like 8-10% in that specific one. Is there a certain amount you should take from a stock? Should you just take 3-4% automatically or how much should you take? I know usually I try to wait until after a year for capital gains and tax reasons, but um, I'm just kind of uncertain on how much to take or when exactly to take profit. Thank you for your
4: help. Have a good day. Oh, well, this is pretty simple. You take as much as your portfolio target is. What do you want that position to be in your portfolio, two, three, four, five 5% of your portfolio, whatever that is. And, and you have to look at your portfolio as a whole. What is your sector allocation to that particular sector? Do you want to have it at a certain level for a particular reason, uh, etc.? So it's really about the target. You want it as a percentage of your portfolio. Thanks for the call.
0: Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program.